When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Today on Off Tackle Empire, this is where we would normally put the Imperial March, but it appears that we are at the end of the first movie, uh, where the Death Star has been blown up. That's right, we're talking about the uh, floating remains of the Ohio State Buckeyes, um, which, of course is presumably poised to strike back, if you will. So the question is, can they do that? Or are they just going to crash Star Destroyers into each other trying to catch the Millennium Falcon? Today on Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the Big Ten blog that's usually usually tries to stay away from Ohio State since we like to talk about things the national media ignores. But we are contractually obligated to talk about them. If we've got to talk about Rutgers, we've got to talk about Ohio State as well. So. And looky here, talking about Ohio State before the eve of the season, which means that they didn't win the conference for a change. It has been several years since that happened but it's always good to have a little bit of variety that being the spice of life and hey like it, it it's also got to be a little bit of like a you know like, it's a combination of the you made me bleed my own blood and also like i've never felt so alive kind of thing for ohio state because now you actually have something to be mad about aimed at the rest of the conference whereas usually it's just you guys didn't even get us ready for the playoff now there's actually something to play for that Ohio State doesn't already have in the trophy case. Yeah, so with us is our masthead contributor, Maximum Sam. Uh, good evening. How are you doing? And how are you feeling about, about, about the current rhetorical web we are re- weaving around your team? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a different mindset. Losing to Michigan, having to play in the the Rose Bowl, like some sort of, you know, pleb. Like Ron Zook, Illinois. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, what how to feel about that, but, uh, you know, we've made some changes to the, to the squad, to the coaching staff, so I, I'm feeling a little confident that we might be able to turn things around from a lowly 11-2 and two season. Yeah. A failure, if you will. Yeah, I mean, so, and that that's kind of revealing of where this program has been. And, it, you know, the last several off-seasons, we really could have just cut and pasted and changed a few of the names as given players cycle in and out, you know, replace one first-round pick with another five-star player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's been hard, and it's been hard for us to tell an interesting story about Ohio State the last few years because they've been so far ahead of the rest of the conference. It's basically been, you can count on Penn State to give them a game, 
Usually there's one other game in there where they lose focus and another team key or another team is having a really good season and they keep it close. But for the most part, it's just what bowl are they playing and how they do in the playoff. Well, and And so you an idea of exactly how bad and overpowering that's been basically like how, how bad it's been for kind of the rest of the conference. Um, Prior to that Michigan game, they were working on a, let me make sure my numbers are right here on a streak of dominating the big 10 that extended for I'm at 18. I'm at 23 consecutive big 10 victories, which includes championship games. Yeah, four uh, straight, four is, straight conference titles. That is more than I did this in an infographics at some point last year. That is actually more than the uh, the Larry Coker era, the U put together. Like like the uh, oh my god, what was it? The, the Butch Davis built team that Larry Coker coached. That is more yeah. than that edition of Miami put together as far as a conference win streak is concerned. That is, I believe. The highest such win streak in conference play I was able to find was early 90s Nebraska at 31, and Ohio State beat that. So, like, like that's more than what Clemson did a few years ago to the ACC when we were talking about how, you know, it wasn't even really a conference anymore. It was just kind of an, a Clemson farm team. Uh, nevertheless, like Clemson's streak did... Ohio State streak did indeed come to an end, but I just wanted to put that in perspective because yeah. it truly is the most, you know, since the era of independence being big powers, it's the longest such major conference streak I was able to find. And when you think about some of the legendary teams that have come, 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 come and gone, um, it really puts it into perspective, especially since... One of the things that differentiates Ohio State from those is no national titles during that streak. Well, and so how did Ohio State then react to losing the first, having the first conference loss of Ryan Day's tenure, and as well as having that streak of dominance broken and a string of four consecutive conference titles broken? Well, they clean house on the defensive side of the ball. They scour the country, get one of the best regarded defensive coordinators in the land, give him staffing authority on that side of the ball, redo what they're doing on that side entirely. Um, So I guess we can start there. How are you feeling, Maximum Sam, about the hire of Jim Knowles to run the defense coming over from Oklahoma State, switching into more of a 4-2-5, kind of the trendier thing, get more defensive backs on the field? How are you feeling about that transition so far? Well, so far, I love it. If you ever listen to the guy talk, he's just a whiz about defense. And after watching our defense last year, you know, struggle to defend nearly everything. <laughs> I can only think that things will improve. And I think really the story of uh, Ohio state is really just about Ryan day. Cause you brought up Larry Coker and you could look at uh, Mark Helfrick at Oregon, uh, you know, guys that take over for, for great coaches and urban Meyer for, you know, being kind of a douchebag was a great coach. Uh, and, and it's been kind of, you know, is Ryan Day going to keep this thing going or is it going to sort of slowly decay and fall off the, the cliff? And, you know, offensively, it's only gotten better. And defensively, it's fallen off the cliff. So, you know, he's brought in Knowles kind of, I think, to really just be the head coach of the defense. 
because Day doesn't really want to do that. He just wants to, you know, watch film and come up with beautiful pass plays. Uh, so he, uh, my cat's bothering me. Uh, <laughs> so I, he seems like the right guy for that kind of job. I mean, he's clearly, I think they're clearly going to be more organized on defense and be more effective. Uh, but are they going to be a great national championship caliber defense? I mean, that's how do you know, you know, until you see them. But it can't be worse than last year. I can tell you that. Well, yeah. the, the writing was kind of on the wall for the Kerry Coombs regime all the way back to the 2020 national championship game when you saw exactly what the weaknesses of their base defense was with tough Portland trying to run down Devontae Smith. Everybody <laughs> remembers that immortal clip. And it's like, oh, I remember. This yeah. is... This is where the four three may become a bit of a liability if you if you don't have world class athletes at linebacker. Even if you do, there is no linebacker in the world who yeah, can catch up with Devontae Smith. You have to it has to be sort of the hybrid space player. The um, everybody calls it something different. Nickel, and it's bandit, amazing cash, whatever. Ohio State was realizing that you know this this base four three defense where you've got linebackers. Uh, covering receivers in this modern game just doesn't work. Around the same time that uh, Illinois fans had long since accepted this and were watching it play out in real time. So, hey, look, we struggled the same struggle in the same year. How about that? It's just that we fired our guy, and you decided to let it ride. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, made all the more perplexing by, you know, you think back to a couple of the last Urban Meyer team's and how did they get it over on Michigan? Well, they put their incredible athletes in space against Michigan's third linebacker. So it's not like they weren't aware of that as a schematic weakness in a base four three. But anyway, um, other than so, you know, early in the season, they lost the game to Oregon, kind of an odd one. But really, the Cristobal Oregon Ducks were very much like Penn State, a very talented team, plenty of top shelf athletes always did something to screw the game up from a management perspective and lose it. But then other than that and the Michigan game, Nebraska and Penn state were the only conference opponents to seriously threaten the Buckeyes. There's, there's basically two off season predictions from last year that I can remember really screwing up. One relates to the Michigan defense, which I thought was going to be terrible because they were bringing a new coordinator with a very different system. And I just didn't think a personnel was that good, but I was wrong about that. We'll get into that more in a couple of weeks. And the other thing was, when we did our preseason positional power polls, everybody put Ohio State at number one at quarterback, even though they hadn't named a new quarterback yet. Most people knew it was going to be Stroud, but I was like, I, can we maybe see who it is before we decide he's the best quarterback in the cut? Like, and again, the Big Ten, not exactly a passing league, such that there were a ton of overwhelming candidates, but there were returning quarterbacks at the time and I was like how about we at least make him play a couple games but then sure enough it you know CJ Stroud breaking a few records at Ohio State last year which have themselves been broken in turn by the succession of guys you know Justin Fields Barrett all the guys who had come before him had constantly rewritten all the impressive records and in a single season Stroud puts himself in a position to do that again so as far as this year goes Stroud coming back, probably going to set himself up as a top 10 pick in next year's draft, <laughs> losing two receivers in the first round and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Um, Olave, I believe, ended up breaking the all-time receptions record for Ohio State. And that being said, in the run-up to the Rose Bowl, they were interviewing these players 
and they asked all the wide receivers, ah, who's, who's the best of the three of you? And all three of them answered Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's the guy that comes back because he's not draft eligible yet. And it's not like he's the only one. Um, waves and waves of elite talent they've recruited at this position. So if it's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming are probably the next guys up. And they also have two more years of Travion Henderson, the three-down terror of a bulldozer running back that we have been telling you about since he committed. You're like, you're going to be counting the days until this guy leaves and stops bullying your teams. And that's kind of been the story. Well, if you made up – if you're most teams of the Big Ten and you could make up your wide receiving core just of guys that have left Ohio State seeking playing time in the last couple of years – You'd have one of the best groups in the Big Ten. Jameson Williams had to go to Alabama to find playing time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've been, uh, they've been all right. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think offensively, the, the only question, I mean, they're going to have new receivers. I know Marvin Harrison's probably gotten the most hype, of, you know, from all the, the spring ball people and the media people, but they, you know, they have some really highly recreating guys like Fleming and Abuka who's never been able to play and you can see uh you know guys who haven't been able to play can still be really good so in that system so I'm not worried there their offensive line they did get a new offensive line coach from UCLA uh Justin Fry uh they were a little shaky there last year I mean they would run the ball against you know against most of the league pretty well but against the better defenses they kind of got bottled up and weren't very physical. Uh, so I think that they, was... They did get stopped against Oregon. That was one of the key reasons they lost that game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but again, you know, for most, as you mentioned, for most of the season, they were fine. Really, it was... What it turned out was the offensive line, as they aligned it, just did not have the ability to deal with NFL defensive ends, which was only really a problem against Oregon, against Michigan, and to an extent against Penn State. <laughs> um, I thought it was a really weird decision to move Thayer Munford inside to guard. I didn't understand that at all. Like Dewan Jones was pretty good at right tackle and they had to you know, move Petit for over left. So most of the year, again, it looked fine, but man, Jones is good of a season as he had and Petit Ferrer on the outside, they got beat by Ojabo and Hutchinson in that game against Michigan. And it was just, it was weird that a multi-year starter, at tackle who passed on the draft to come back then got moved inside to guard it that was just the thing i mean like i don't know enough about offensive line play to actually say from an x's and o's perspective why it should or shouldn't have worked but it just felt weird and there were some moments where it really didn't pay off that way uh but yeah again it's just another thing much like with the defense a lot of coaches who have accomplished what ryan day has would get stubborn and set in their ways and determined to think, no, the way that I have done it is the best way. I'm not changing for anybody. I'm going to ride or die with my guys. But it, no, man, this is a straight ruthless operation where if you're part of the machine's not working, you got to go. And in a way, I appreciate that because it's not pretending that college football is something that it isn't, which is a gigantic mega business. <laughs> so all this talk of loyalty and friendship and you've been here fretting. Nah, nah, man, if you ain't, cu- if you ain't pulling mustard, if you ain't cutting the mustard, get out. Which, so, I mean, this is a coach that has not yet won a national title, and he's entering his, what, fifth year? 
Hot seat, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's fourth fourth year. Four years, yeah. Probably a lot. I mean, if you pulled fans of each team, I'd be willing to bet that there aren't, you know, that there aren't five more teams in the Big Ten whose fans think their coach should be fired more than Ohio State's. Hmm. Ohio State fans are crazy. I mean, we know that. I remember after the Oregon game, they wanted to bench CJ CJ Stroud, who threw for nearly 500 yards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and well, again, because of the strength of the Oregon front, was actually seeing real pressure for the first time in his still pretty young starting career at that point. And the, given that the alternative was playing a true freshman, even a pretty talented one in Kyle McCord, uh, yeah, that was absolutely bonkers. But um, or, or maybe maybe the idea was let's turn to the seventeen-year-old Quinn Ewers who came here for a million dollars and left. Yeah, um, God rest his soul. <laughs> Our yeah. greatest regret: yeah. not getting to see the mullet come out. And, and yeah, he transferred to Texas and then they recruited over him and landed Arch Manning. So, <laughs> uh, uh, just he, the he future. Is absolutely the next Tate Martell. Tathan. Yes, he is. Yes, he is 100% the next Tathan. Who was the and guy it was, that we. It was written all over his building. face the yeah. second he popped onto the scene. Uh, so, I guess there's another service Ohio State can provide is just this endless stream of that kind of quarterback. Roaming the country in search of a quarterback room that's ass, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it wouldn't be too hard to find. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just got to look for the mullet. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, enough talking about the fun part. Let's talk about defense. So, it's fair to say that the last few years, really since Chase Young left, which, again, having a guy like Chase Young and the Boses before him will cover up a lot of other problems, to be sure, but it is a little fair to say, I think, that this unit has underperformed its talent recently. Yeah. Yeah. They, do, they do still have plenty of blue-chip guys available. I mean, like, you know, Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison, Tron Vincent, all just on the defensive line who were former, like, five-star players that have yet really to live up to that billing. Linebacker play was all right last year for the most part, but it's still, like, there's, there's nobody there like a Raekwon McMillan, for example, or you know, going back further to guys like you know, Ryan Shazier and AJ Hawk back in the day where it's like, well, that guy's going to wreck every play that we draw that's within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like it, they don't have that kind of eye, which again, with the athletes they have available is a little bit strange. I've never seen an NFL backer who absorbs the lead blocker better than AJ Hawk. <laughs> most overrated <laughs> Packer of my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, hey now, that's my guy. <laughs> He so as far as personnel go, then in the linebacking group, a couple of newcomers that could make things interesting. Again, switching over to four two five, the need for him kind of narrows. So you don't have to find as many traditional linebackers. Um, CJ Hicks is probably the biggest name in the entire recruiting class. He's going to be hard to keep off the field. I think like a top ten, top fifteen overall type of talent. So expect to see him out there. They also grabbed a transfer from the sinking ship, uh, Herm Edwards, in picking up Chip Trainum from Arizona State. I can't say that I re- – so MSU played a home-and-home with them a couple of years ago. I don't think he was on the field by that time, but, I mean, that is three seasons ago at this point. So I couldn't tell you much about him. From what I have read, there's a lot of optimism that this 4-2-5 is going to be great for Ronnie Hickman in particular. And – 
Jim Knowles is also bringing over a transfer from with him from uh, Oklahoma State in Tanner McAllister, who it sounds like they're going to run at the nickel as well. So defensively, Max and Sam, your thoughts about what you expect to see? Uh, what is the realistic ceiling in year one under new system? So I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I think uh, I think it could be pretty high. I mean, they do have some really good, you know, the recruits, five-star recruits up front. I mean, they have three five-star defensive ends they can trot out besides, you know, all the other guys that have experience. You know, you just didn't see any kind of that talent on the field last year. It just didn't look right. I mean, even a game against like Tulsa last year, they didn't look like they knew what they were doing or where they were supposed to be or what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and, you know, I, I, part of the defense, and we talk about 425 and this guy and that guy, but part of it, the biggest part of any kind of defense is being organized and guys knowing where they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to go, given what the offense does. And last year, you just didn't see that. Uh, at all at, at first. Uh, then they, you know, shot Kerry Combs into the sun uh, and went in a different direction. And that was more just a very basic defense of just, you know, try and keep everything in front of you, which, you know, worked okay until they played Michigan. Um, so, you know, Jim Knowles is going to be more, it's going to be more coherent philosophy. They're going to be more aggressive. They're going to do things, you know, like put out a cover zero, which is going to result into a big touchdown play and a lot of angry Buckeye fans. But, you know, part of that is the defense is going to have a plan and be more organized. How fast you can do that in one offseason, you know, I'm skeptical that it's going to be a huge change. But just being just being more organized and being a little bit more explosive with the athletes they have should, you know, make them look better, uh, if not make them, you know, any kind of Georgia-like defense this year. Yeah, and from a personnel standpoint, I guess the other guy that perhaps should have been mentioned, Denzel Burke, is kind of the most prominent returning corner. I don't know if he necessarily fits into the pantheon of Ohio State corners. I mean, there was a run there, you know, from a few to several years ago where every year there was at least one, if not a couple, first-rounders out of that secondary. That was really kind of the strength of, I mean, that and pass rushers, Urban Meyer certainly understood the importance of getting those positions right. So that's maybe one thing you would give him a couple points on over Ryan Day in terms of building a roster. But Burke is probably another guy that's going to be on draft projections. Oh, I think he's only a true sophomore this year, so he yeah. might not even be draft eligible. So, Yeah, he was a freshman last year. Yeah, which, again, that's saying something. It, and that's kind of a nice segue into recruiting bit, which is always a depressing conversation for Steve and I, acknowledging <laughs> exactly how much – disgusting talent is rolling into Columbus, but it always brings up kind of an interesting conversation, which is no matter how talented these guys are, it's not like Ohio state hasn't stacked classes like this every year going back off into the misty past. So can you really say that any of these guys are needed right away? Um, we mentioned Hicks in the linebacking group. These guys can be tough to keep off the field, even with only two backers out there. Other guy would probably be Sonny Styles, an in-state prospect, the number 12 overall player in the country at the safety, again, with a kind of a new approach in the pass coverage, probably opportunity for him to play pretty early and the sort of talent that you're going to have a hard time keeping out there. But man, honestly, it's like, if, if you let, there's 21 guys from high school in this class they're bringing in, one of them 
is a three-star prospect. Everybody else, four and five-star players, and only four of them are outside of the top 300 in the country. So that is why I have myself a bit of a chuckle at the Michigan people. Like, and I tell, I got to tell you, Max and Sam, Steve and I are both here in Metro Detroit. They are all over the place. <laughs> the Michigan people do exist who really believe that because of 42-27, the tide has turned and now there's a new order in this rivalry. And I just like, I don't even have the words for it, man. It's so far from reality. And I don't know how to explain it in a way that they're like, I must like, you know what? I basically settled on the point of you go ahead and think that it, it, this is a miserable world. We live in, in a lot of ways, the game is still a few months away. You go ahead and hold on to that. That reality is going to come crashing in eventually of an Ohio state program that did not lose as much as Michigan did from last year's teams still has a gigantic talent advantage. And by the end of the season, you would expect a lot of issues with installing a new defense will be ironed out. Um, so yeah, I, as for the Michigan folks who think that they've closed the gap with Ohio state, I don't have the heart to tell them how wrong they are. Well, you know, I'm a Bengals fan in my other life. And, uh, whenever you have anything good, you just got to grasp onto it and, uh, never let go until they take it from you. So I understand how Michigan okay. is right now. So if you're, if you're a Michigan, if you're a Bengals fan, then I, I bet you're in the part of Ohio that may also make you a Reds fan. And with it being, the trade deadline oh, no. just a couple of hours ago. We gotta do it to him. We gotta do it to him. I was wondering <laughs> if we have cause to drop this in after a few trades the Cincinnati Reds made today. Yes. Man, Sam, do you know who the fifth highest salaried player for the Cincinnati Reds is right now? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I could name five guys on the Reds right now. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> He's not on the Reds right now. He's in oh, no. contract with them, though. It's Ken Griffey Jr., oh. who last played for the Reds in 2008. So because of the way they deferred his salary, he still owed something like $3.5 million this year, which makes him the fifth highest played player on an MLB team. Um, I'm surprised they weren't able to trade him. <laughs> well, I mean, they may... I don't remember if he played for anyone else after the Reds. He they may have the just White Sox in like 2012. All right, so he might. Yeah, they must have just released him and end up deferring his salary. It's not as it's not Bobby Bonilla, but it's close. <laughs> um, so anyway, oh, I'm so glad that that op- that that possibility opened up. I, I couldn't not making do a base it to salary you. of 3.6 million. Yeah, yes. Yeah. In 2022, Ken Griffey Jr. What a remarkable time we live in. So we're talking about recruiting and we're talking about how they stack up against Michigan, but that's not who they're competing with. They're not competing with Michigan in recruiting, really. I mean, True. Michigan in 2023 has a small class and it's early in 2023, but Michigan's not in the same echelon. The people that Ohio State is competing with in recruiting, and it's been like this, is Alabama, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas, Clemson, to a lesser extent, Penn State. And over the last week, They've lost a lot on that front. Uh, they've suffered some decommitments, such as uh, four-star tight end. Uh, what's his name? Um, Ty Lockwood. Ty Lockwood. Hmm. Uh, they lost a. Uh, they lost four-star corner Dijon Johnson. Their top safety target, number thirteen overall player in the country, committed to Alabama. 
Uh, Ty Lockwood also flipped to Alabama. It seems like Nick Saban is intent on eating Ryan Day's lunch right now for whatever reason. Uh, probably because he, probably because he realized it. So I know Ryan Day mentioned, you know, was famously quoted as talking to Booster saying, I need 13 million a year to keep this roster intact. I think that's just relating to the players once they're on campus. I think if you connect the dots between that and what Saban said to his boosters, where he's complaining about how much money Texas A&M is throwing around, that to me says that Saban is basically determined, all right, so if I don't have enough NIL money to get X number of the elite players, then the rest of the elite players who might not be solely motivated by that, those are the guys I'm going to grab no matter where they're going right now. Oh, what's that? You're committed to Ohio State? Okay, son. Let me tell you how many more tight ends I've put in the league than they have in the last X number of years. I have to assume that's all it is. I kind of feel like Ohio State's going to be all right. Um, they've, they've certainly got the fan base with the enthusiasm and the money to throw around. It's all just a matter, really, of how the compliance departments and the school want to handle it. Um, for example, I mean, I'll admit, I was pretty confident that Michigan State was going to dive into this with both feet because... They have a couple of big dollar donors who are very interested in winning at basically whatever cost. That's why they paid Mel Tucker nine and a half million dollars to make sure they could keep him because they thought they had the right guy. And so I assumed we were going to be outbidding teams for players. And that has turned out not to be the case. Michigan State's missed out on a number of guys who, oh, look at that. Surprise, surprise. He's going to Texas. He's going to Miami. He's going to Oregon. He's going to Texas A&M. Funny and how he's they're going all going to Washington, <laughs> D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah. yeah, going to all the same handful of schools. Wonder why that would be. So anyway, good recruiters are going to be just fine. Tucker has been fine. Ryan Day is going to be fine. He certainly has, I mean, especially, so the tight end thing, for example. For one thing, Ohio State wants to run four receiver sets out there all the time. Anyway, when they need more than one or two tight ends at a time for. Um, but beyond that specifically, you know, I get, they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be just fine. Um, yeah, and I think the, the question mark, I mean, I don't care so much about the tight end, and they have another tight end committed anyway. Yeah. The 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 defense, I think, is going to struggle a little bit. I mean, whenever you replace your whole staff, you know, they have to replace all those relationships and everything, and that puts them a step behind, and they weren't really brought in as great recruiters anyway. They were brought in because they were great at, you know, coaching defense. So that's probably going to be a little bit of a mess. And just overall, you know, with NIL, I don't know what to expect. Everyone's just – I think you can see teams like Alabama and Ohio State are still recruiting well, but those teams that want to break in, uh, like Texas A&M especially, that's been just eager and will spend money because they've been pretty much nobodies for a long time, but they have a lot of money. Yeah, they have uh, a long history <laughs> of not giving a single solitary fuck about – how about how how much money is or is not legal to spend on recruits? Uh, yeah. Their their only legacy is not not leaving as much of a paper trail as did SMU back in yes. the days because it could have just as easily been them. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, you know, they've jumped in, and Michigan State's jumped. Didn't they just get a a pretty big recruit? They've been on a little bit of a tear, basketball and football lately. Um, the offensive tackle they just got last night was a guy they pivoted from Alabama was a guy that they pivoted to, like I said, a series of their higher profile targets committed elsewhere in the past. That would have been backbreaking because 
the D'Antonio approach to that would have been, all right, we tried to get a blue chip player. He didn't come here. I'm just going to go back and rummage around in the Ohio dumpster for the, you know, 20th and 30th rated players. And some of those guys ended up being really good. So I, I can't throw too much shade on that approach. You do find like the Josiah Scott's that way and stuff, but um, it does put kind of a ceiling on you if you're out of the running for a certain class of athlete. But yeah, it, again, they've been fine because the other thing about this. So again, there's, there's a lot of talk like, Oh man, it's just going to be about who's got the most money. Yeah. Well, no shit. It's been like that forever to an extent. But the other thing is, yeah, these players are going to be attracted by the promise of big NIL paydays in the short term. But long term, if schools at Texas, like Texas and Florida and Miami, continue to wash out recruits at the rate they do and not translate that town into NFL you know, draft position, there's still results to sell for Alabama, for Ohio State, for Clemson that are going to convince plenty of kids like because, you know, one million now versus the prospect of making, you know, a hundred million over a good NFL career yeah. is is just nothing, just peanuts. Yeah. And to the extent that there are players that are like, no, I think I'm going to take the payday now. Isn't there probably a higher than normal chance that that's not the mindset that's going to result in a successful career anyway? I'm just saying. Well, yeah, so there are these, av- you know, there are plenty of avenues for Ohio State to go down to get recruits you know, at or around the level of those that are flipping to Alabama or whatnot, because the the step down from that is still pretty, you know, pretty much in this. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a lot like colleges, right? Once you're at a certain rating, you're going to roughly get the same education from the same caliber of institution. But of course, Ohio state could also just, uh, you know, abandon the idea of recruiting instant impact NFL guys and go, fuck it. You know, go seven down linemen all the time <laughs> and just, just, you know, scrounge around recruiting for, for big, uh, you know, linemen in the Midwest and guys that eat a whole bunch of burgers for a couple of years while they sit <laughs> on the sidelines and then, uh, you know, get in the weight room and develop some, uh... <laughs> that's certainly an, an approach that one could take. Look, we're going divisionless relatively soon. You're going to be playing more of those Big Ten West teams than you are at the moment. May as well adjust for that transition now. But yeah, if there's if there is an, a recruiting style transition, it's nice to be in the position where you have 80 or 90 blue chip players on the roster that you can kind of coast through that adjustment until you figure out how to get a higher class of player. So to finish the football discussion with the schedule, opens up with quite a bang this year. Uh, former Buckeye linebacker Marcus Freeman in his first game as the head coach of Notre Dame comes to the shoe for what should be a fascinating game. Um, I have not thought much about Notre Dame's roster yet. He has kicked their recruiting into an even higher level than Brian Kelly had it at, which was quite good. So Notre Dame is one of the, you know, again, six to 10 teams in the country that has a roster that can hang with Ohio State on paper. Buckeyes are going to be breaking into the new defense. Going to be very interesting. Um, the other two non-conference games, considerably less so, um, Arkansas State and Toledo. But yeah, opening up with a bang. And it, this is Ohio State has consistently scheduled very interesting series. I, I recall the home and homes with USC several years ago. They had the series with Baker Mayfield's Oklahoma that was compelling. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, do you like that approach as far as scheduling goes, or would you rather the teams start with a more manageable approach like, say, a Michigan does where they play UConn every year somehow? <laughs> well, I love it. I mean, I... I mean, what's the point of watching college football if you don't get these big time matchups? And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I grew up, I, honestly, I grew up kind of a Notre Dame fan. Uh, so I got a lot of love for them still, even though I'm probably more 75% Ohio State these days. But uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, not just Marcus Freeman, but James Laurinaitis is on their staff as well. Really? He went, yeah, he's their linebackers coach. And and after he uh, retired from the NFL, he did a radio show in Columbus on their sports radio. And then just one day was just like, well, I'm out. I got to call from Marcus that I'm going to be a coach there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of connections there. And, and it's going to be a good game. And I think it's going to be a struggle. I mean, right now they have Ohio State as a two-touchdown favorite, I think. Um, and I think that's too high. You know, breaking in an entirely new defense against anyone is tough. Against the Notre Dame kind of team is a lot tougher. Notre Dame does have a lot of question marks on offense. You know, they're going to have a new quarterback. You know, the Jack Cohn uh, era is over there. <laughs> but, you know, they still have a good team and have a really good defense. So it would not surprise me at all to see that, you know, go down to the wire and be a really great game. Yeah, they they sent off um, Kyle Hamilton, who was the Thorpe winner, Thorpe Award winner last year, fantastic safety. But as you mentioned, they I mean, I know Tyler Buckner, the guy that's projected to start at quarterback for them, is supposedly an extremely high ceiling type of player. Um, they still have they've always got a good offensive line. They've consistently recruited and developed there pretty well. Michael Mayer is probably going to be the best tight end in the country, so. Yeah, they'll, they'll certainly have plenty of ways to test a new defense. But yeah, as you mentioned, like, right. I think what you want in terms of scheduling is you want one showcase non-conference game. And then it's okay if you have a couple, like, I don't think any team in the Power 5 should be playing FCS teams basically under any circumstances. You can find somebody in the group of five, at least, somebody in the MAC or the Sun Belt or whatever that can give you a, well, very likely win but still some kind of opposition. Um, yeah, you know, Michigan State's got a home-and-home home starting with Washington now. Um, we were supposed to have the home-and-home home with Miami. The pandemic wiped out their trip up here. Um, but yeah, I think you want one interesting game like that, you know, for one thing, to convince your ticket season, your season ticket holders that's worth paying the ungodly prices you're charging. Um, but for another, to again, yeah, exposure and 
um, increased value. Well, again, if the old world of college football is being scrapped for the sake of TV contract and everything, you better at least give me something worth watching. Um, that's kind of, that's the positive of this reordering of things is ideally more of the games will actually be ones that you want to watch. You'll see starts our home and home with Kansas, which is of course one of those series that everybody wants to watch. Well, it's a guarantee that Kansas will have its two best seasons of the last 30 years, given your experience with Illinois non-conference scheduling. (laughs) My only deal with FCS is I would love to see something come down where we're, you know, especially with Big Ten, just don't let them play FCS anymore. And the main reason I want this to happen is so that we can lock in Illinois never having lost to an FCS team. Because every single time that we play one, it's an accident waiting to happen. You're, you're the meme of and Jordan just, Poole sweating profusely. Yeah, and I just can't believe Peele, it hasn't sorry. happened yet. Um, so that is the interesting part of Ohio State's non-conference because uh, Arkansas State and Toledo are certainly not. Yeah. Not hey, don't being... sleep on Toledo. They're, they're going to have a pretty decent team this year. All right. It's, it's yeah. I mean, we look again, recalling that we've been to multiple Mac championship games. We are fans of Jason Candle on this program. A um, <laughs> little bit surprised that he hasn't gotten the call somewhere else yet, but the trend of plucking coaches out of the Mac has kind of quieted down the last few years. I mean, I think Leopold to Kansas might've been the last guy. Uh, but anyway, after the non-conference, the beat does drop pretty quickly in an interesting challenge with Wisconsin being the first conference game. That is a run game that we'll see. How are your run fits going with this new defense? Um, a bit later, there's a three game stretch of at Michigan state, Iowa at home and at Penn state. That is probably the stress test portion of the schedule. Uh, it's certainly been a while since the Buckeyes had any problems with Michigan state though. That's going to be more of a measuring stick game for us. I think like, or do we belong on the field with Ohio state yet? Cause it hasn't been the case for quite a while. Um, but as far as how the end of the year shapes up though, um, how does this schedule sound going into Michigan at Northwestern Indiana at home at Maryland, probably three of the four or five easiest games on the schedule to gear up for Michigan. And I, again, I was writing most of the Michigan outline earlier today, their schedule is similarly easy. So both teams should be going into that game on a roll, most likely each of them on at least a three game winning streak. Um, looking over the course of the season, what's your outlook for the Buckeyes overall schedule? Uh, yeah, I think the games I'm most worried about are, are the first one against Notre Dame, as I said before, and then at Penn state. I mean, you know, I think Penn state is going to be pretty good this year. Uh, they had a, rough uh, experience with their offensive coordinator last year and never got things worked out. And I think that's going to change. Uh, they brought former Buckeye Mike Yerkic uh, to, to be there. And I think it's to be more spread out and they'll be more effective and, and they'll have a good defense. So, you know, that on the road, that's going to be a tough game uh, and a big game if they already have a loss to Notre Dame. Um, Wisconsin's always tough. You know, that early in the season, Wisconsin replaces a lot on defense, and they're going to be pretty good. Uh, Very fortunate to get Wisconsin and Iowa at home. Yeah. 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 Not having to go to either of those venues. I mean, Kinnick at night is a totally different question than hosting them, than hosting Iowa at noon. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I still have nightmares against us when they put up 55 against us. You know, I didn't know I people in Iowa could count the 50 at five. <laughs> That's why I have the scoreboard operators from the conference in there to do it. Well, but yeah. do you remember that remember that uh, Democratic caucus from 2020 election primaries? <laughs> remember how screwed up that was? It took them took them days to count to 55. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. But your your point about Penn State is certainly true, though. It's the only program that has consistently recruited on a similar level to Ohio State, never quite as good, but they've got the talent uh, to keep up with the Buckeyes in all three phases. And really, the, we've already done the review episode for them because it, it did go wrong. But yeah, the offensive coordinator thing was not a fit. And the other problem they had was Sean Clifford got hurt. He was playing hurt for probably two-thirds of the season and you can also say, well, all right, if your backup, if you couldn't get your backup situation in order to give the guy a couple of weeks off, that says something else about your program. But really, not a lot of teams in college football that are going to be anywhere near as good if you have to go to your backup quarterback. So, yeah, the trip to Penn State probably going to determine whether Ohio State is in the driver's seat for the Big Ten or if they are looking up at a team or two, perhaps like a Michigan whose schedule also lines up very favorably. So. All that being said, oh, go ahead. Because the thing about Ohio State and backups is that versus any other team, Ohio State does seem like they would be the team most prepared to go to their backup at any given position because you see this all the time in, you know, especially with that series that they used to have where they'd kick off the season by by demoralizing Indiana by almost letting them win. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was a, that was a thing for a few years. So when Andrew talks about, uh, you know, Penn state being the only team that's recruited close to Michigan has recruited close at the top end, but Ohio state and Penn state have, have recruited uh, at a higher baseline level, if you will. So the depth is more talented at uh, especially Ohio state, but also that's kind of where <clears throat> I differentiate Penn state from Michigan state. And of course, uh, sometimes you have to go to your backup quarterback at Penn State in the sixth overtime. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, I think Michigan's offense is going to be really good. And because they did play McCarthy a little bit, they could even withstand a quarterback injury. But I will tell you, if they have, I, th- I think if they have any injuries in their front seven at all this year, Michigan's defense could be in a world of hurt. Um, so we'll see again, you know, end of the season by then injuries will have typically built up a little bit, but I mean, notwithstanding the results of last year's, um, version of the game, I believe Ohio state is still a a huge betting favorite to win the conference. So I think I'm fairly sure you get positive odds with basically anybody else. Um, it would be surprising if they don't win the conference this year. And unless and until some other team consistently matches them in both recruiting and coaching, which is the part Penn State usually gets wrong, um, it's it's going to be a considerable upset if the Buckeyes don't win the conference, which, hey, enjoy it while it lasts. No good thing continues forever. Um, We'll pivot then to discuss basketball, and I'm very curious to have the opinion of a of a Buckeye big picture on Chris Holtman. So before we get into the substance of it, uh, just give me your general impression. Like, what do you think of this guy? We're several years in now. 
the whole roster is of his making. We've seen his first couple classes come and go. You kind of see how things are going to be now. Um, they're plainly going to be sustainably pretty good. Also have not really won anything. So what's the feeling on Chris Holtman and where this program is? So I love Chris Holtman. I really like, you know, the way that they've looked since he's been hired. Uh, that's not a, uh, there's a lot of mixed reactions around him around Columbus. I can tell you that. Uh, but I, I, I can see that they can field good teams every year. You know, like you said, the overall sort of, you know, top line talent hasn't been there where you can compete for, for championships. Some of that's just been bad luck. I mean, you know, his best team was probably the COVID year where they canceled yeah. the tournament. Uh, and last year they had some really rough injury luck, you know, just assuming, you know, they prepared with, it was going to be the one B EJ Liddell's one a, and, you know, he missed the whole season. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and that was just one guy. I mean, they missed, they had a bunch of guys, uh, lose games and, uh, <laughs> and so I, I really like them. I, I haven't been dissatisfied with anything that's, that's happened. Uh, you know, he's got guys going to the NBA now, which it's been a while since that's been really going on at Ohio state. Um, but you know, this team coming back is completely new. Uh, so it should be interesting to see how they look this year. So they're going to play six freshmen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going, it is going to be a very different team. And last year, again, the injuries certainly had something to do with that, but they were also just very mercurial, man. I mean, in December, they beat Duke, who were ranked number one in the country at the time. But then down the stretch, they lose five of their last seven games. I think a part of this is that their, their depth had simply worn down to nothing. But, man, you lose to Nebraska in, in the last couple of years of the Big Ten, you got a problem. Yeah. And then, again, the postseason, which has been a little bit of a theme, first game they play in the Big Ten tournament, they lose get to the big dance second round exit at the hands of Villanova. I'm pretty sure they have not made the sweet 16 since Holtman has been there at some point, the postseason success does become, does become an important factor in measuring the success of a program. Even if they're, they play a fairly enjoyable brand of basketball consistently have good players. Uh, the postseason success is, I mean, that's what, that's what the fans celebrate at the end of the year. That's what they, that's where everybody shows up to see the banner raising and all that. Um, as you mentioned, we'll be a very different team. Uh, their two best players by some margin have both moved on, EJ Liddell, as well as wing Malachi Branham, who I, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, he, he definitely showed his upside towards the tail end of the year. I did not expect him to be a first-round pick. Um, going to the Spurs is obviously a great place for young players in the NBA, so can't blame him. Um, did have a number of role players move on as well, whether via transfer or eligibility running out. Um, Michi Johnson transferred out, Justin Arns is not returning. Um, Kyle Young, one of my favorite non-Michigan State players the last many years. Um, just the best garbage man you could ever want. And I mean that as a term of endearment. Um, Jamari Wheeler, a one-year transfer over from Penn State. And then Joey Brunk, the former Indiana Hoosier who came over. They're recurring back injury that kind of limited his impact, but a lot of guys who at least had bit parts, they're not going to be coming back. So in replacing them, as you mentioned, a large freshman class, but also a handful of transfers. Um, Isaac Likakele, I believe is how you say that, um, from Oklahoma State. 
that's going to be a major factor at the point along with um, the freshman Bruce Thornton. So they'll be okay there. Thornton's a top 50 overall player. So you can expect him to play as a freshman um, on the wings, a couple more transfers, Sam McNeil from West Virginia, Tanner Holden from Wright state. That'll let them bring their freshmen along a little bit more slowly, but Again, a couple more guys, Roddy Gale, number 42 in the composite, Bryce Sensabaugh, 61 in the composite, a really good recruiting class that they have enough pieces around that they don't have to throw them all in right away. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the real question mark here is what does Justice Suing bring you after missing a, a full year of competition? And what does the front court look like without Liddell and without Kyle Young? Um, one of our favorite names of all time, I think Steve would agree. It, it's finally time for the Zed Key show. So everybody hit the Zed Key to refresh. And uh, we'll see what the front court looks like. Um, he's likely going to be supported by another freshman in Felix Okpara. Again, another guy in the top 60 in the composite, um, which overall added up to, I wrote down somewhere, the number eight class coming in in 2022. So a big infusion of talent, a very different team. But again, four of the top five freshmen are inside the top 65 nationally. It's probably fair to expect a bit of a rebuild year. Um, unless Suing comes back and is every bit the player he used to be, which is maybe not a fair expectation. Uh, this is a very new roster. I think you probably expect them to make a tournament. Like for a program like Ohio State, that feels like the floor. But if I'm missing something here or you, you feel like you have higher expectations, I'd be happy to hear about it, though. So honestly, I don't know what to expect. And I think the, the, biggest, uh, the biggest question marks will be suing and, and Seth Towns, who comes back, I think, for his seventh year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, how hell, can, they give, can they play? and give them something? And if they can, I mean, those are very talented players. Um, who could lead them to, you know, a pretty good season, but how can you count on them coming back? I don't know. And I haven't heard anything. They have some games in the Bahamas this summer and neither of them are going to play in them, but they say they're, you know, on track to, to come back for the season. So yeah. what that means, I don't know, you know, and other than them and other than Zed Key, it's really a bunch of freshmen and transfers. And, you know, I've looked at the transfers, but I don't know them well. They, I know uh, uh, Holden's from uh, Wright State, uh, has, you know, has the reputation of a, of a driver slasher. And they have a, a guy from West Virginia, his name I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's a big-time shooter. Um, the guy from Oklahoma State supposed to be another kind of driver slasher kind of guy. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, you could, one thing I know about college basketball, never, ever, ever, count on freshmen just don't do it you know yeah people always talk about how the freshmen are going to be and they're always wrong they, they might be good and they might not bryce sensible is a guy who's gotten a lot of uh chatter they have a, a league up here in columbus um the king's league i think king summer league he dominated that it's a lot of like former ohio state guys and you know fringe nba guys uh, he really opened some eyes so i think if any of the freshmen were to merge i think it might be him um, but I don't count on freshmen to come in and make a big difference. And so I think, you know, I think they're going to be able to put on a competent team. Uh, if they have guys that can shoot, I think that's the biggest question mark, you know, for any college, for any basketball 
these days. You have to be able to shoot threes. Yeah. I'm struggling to see where they do it, you know, this year. The recurring theme we've had when we've been talking basketball, though, is there's a, if you were to list even like the 20 or 30 best players in the conference last season, there's not more than a handful of them that are coming back. Um, Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, probably Zach Eady at Purdue, Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana. I'm sure there's a few others I'm snubbing, but really a ton of turnover from especially the higher quality teams in the league so there's an opening really um it's yeah and if ohio state especially like the possible positive side of having guys like suing and towns around is man those guys have seen everything like they haven't played in a minute but they certainly know what it means to be around a winning program and to adjust to college life in a new place they can help both the transfers and the freshmen in that regard so it wouldn't surprise me if ohio state is able to gel quickly here and it's long enough ago now that maybe I'm giving him a little bit too long a line of credit for this, but I continue to think back on the coaching job that Holtman did in his first year in Ohio state, which was superlative, but really with Kata Bates job and a handful of guys that probably should not have been playing in the big 10, um, they vastly overachieved what they should have been capable of doing. And so I, I still, I think I'm still at a point where I choose to believe that's more the coach Holtman is, he does have to figure out the postseason thing at some point. But again, with this being such a new team, I think there's a little bit of a grace period that can be issued there. Um, but yeah, a big picture, I think it's hard to be anything but satisfied with where they've gone. Again, they've, they've been through a lot. They have had a lot of bad injury luck. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear that's my dishwasher singing. It's now completed its task. Um, Good job, dishwasher. <laughs> He has a he has the little Samsung that could um, Sam completely, yeah, completely lost my train of thought. But in any case, I think it's going to be a really completely different. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting season in the Big Ten this year. I mean, every team is really new. Uh, even Michigan, even they bring back Dickinson, but you know who else? That, <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. I did, like I said, I just wrote up their outline earlier and. Of their stuff, they had 10 players last year who averaged more than five minutes a game, and they returned three of them uh, Dickinson and the two last guys in the rotation, Kobe Bufkin and um, Terrence Williams. So Dickinson is really it. That's all they return. They've got a high level transfer guard from Princeton and another really good freshman class. So they have the talent. Like, that, as I thought about it, I ultimately concluded that, look, in a conference lacking established powers, if you have a lot of talent, you're going to have a chance for it to gel in the right way. I, again, like we've kind of marveled at Mike Woodson's year two Indiana emerging as the substantial conference favorite because nobody else can think of a decent team in this league. <laughs> like yeah. after the year, after the last couple of years they've had, I certainly can't say that Michigan State's going to rise back up this season. Although, given the way their recruiting has turned recently, I think that Tom Izzo does have a last gasp in him. It just won't be this year. So, yeah, the league is going to be wide open. And Ohio State's going to be a very different team than they were last year. But this talent that they brought in via the portal and via their freshman class probably still puts them comfortably in the top half of the league, even in a worst-case scenario. Like, short of an injury apocalypse – they're going to be in the top half of the league, which is probably going to have them in the picture for a tournament berth at least. 
the we concept of putting Indiana expectations this high now in year two of a new coach just has me, you know, Jack Nicholson nodding yes gif. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but on the but on the other hand, though, like I like Mike Woodson, and you know if they do, you know if they don't live up to these expectations, there's a certain chunk of that fan base that's going to turn on him. <laughs> um, so at you, did you guys you, watch Winning Time? Not yet. I haven't, at least. Oh, well. No, I haven't seen it. It's very good about the Lakers. Uh, yeah. At, but at the very end, they had a scene with Larry Bird sitting in like a trailer with his parents, and they're just going on and on <laughs> on those kind of themes. So, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, Indiana could be good, and Purdue, I would expect to be pretty good. And, but all these teams, uh, Illinois, you're kind of just going by their past history and because you don't really know because you don't really know who's on the going to be on the team. Oh yeah, Illinois will be the most different team. Like as many new guys as Ohio State <laughs> and Michigan have, Illinois yeah, has there's, none there's, of there's the same guys returning. There's two guys <laughs> yeah. returning, not two starters, two guys. I still look forward, <laughs> Steve, I'm still looking forward to uh, locker room foundation and emotional guidepost coleman hawkins it's going to be phenomenal <laughs> so uh we'll we'll go ahead and wrap this up so that our listenership can get on with their lives but man it's hard not to feel expansive you know the weather is fantastic we're into august now barely two and a half weeks away from big 10 football uh, this has been well by Big Ten football, you mean Illinois, Nebraska, and Northwestern are gonna <laughs> technically Big Ten football, which is the best <laughs> kind. So it's Big Ten West football, which is yeah. the Big Tennis football. I mean, Ireland is at the western edge of Europe, so yeah, even the location of that game will be fairly Big Ten West of them. Uh, in any case, we thank our contributor Maximum Sam for joining us here in Ohio Week. Um, as always, we have replaced all of the dragons in Skyrim with the state of Ohio, uh, but we will sign off. Maximum Sam, any concluding thoughts? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope Michigan State's able to score a point before halftime this year. It would be nice. Your source for big and cog, it's off tackle empire.